0: I'm Audrey Hollenberg-Duffy, and I'm
1: her husband Tim Hollenberg-Duffy.
0: We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together under the faith umbrella of Anabaptism and Radical Pietism, more specifically in the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, for Jesus.
1: We've always enjoyed chats about faith life because we found in each other a companion that gets us, even when it doesn't feel like we fit in the boxes of American life or mainstream American Christianity.
0: We believe the Church is crucial to faith and practice, and yet also accept that religious institutions are crumbling.
1: We believe being disciples of Jesus Jesus rarely fits a pre made container.
0: So join us for our meanderings
1: as we try to find a faithful Jesus way forward.
0: Welcome to this episode of Coffee with the Pastors. This is our monthly feature, Popcorn with the Pastors, where we invite our brother pastors to join us on the podcast and we talk together about pop culture and how we can understand it through a faith lens. This month, since we are kind of in the transition of different sports where baseball is coming into a playoff season and football is kicking up. We thought we would look at the culture of sports. Woohoo, sports! Woo, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of uh, cultural emphasis on sports, and so we're going to talk about kind of our own engagement with the culture of sports, and then a broader understanding of how sports are engaged in culture. So I thought we could start by first just talking about our own relationship with sports. Andy is probably the most sporty out of all of us. So Andy, why don't you start?
2: I'm Andy, and I love sports. Sports is the best, especially Quidditch or Pod racing. Or um, anything that wizards play. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I'm not really a sports person. I'm not really a sports uh, fanatic, fan, player. Growing up, I enjoyed playing. But you like
1: the food. You love the food. Nachos
2: at at a ball game. Yeah, that's, that's the stuff. I like the atmosphere sometimes. I played some team sports when I was a little guy and, uh, probably stopped about middle school and I went back to play soccer in high school years, rec league, and, and that was fun, but I don't really follow any professional sports. I don't really watch any sports. I... Have lots of thoughts, and those will probably come out as we talk more. Uh, but, but you know, just keep that in mind as as you're all listening to uh, my perspective in particular. That I don't. I I heard there were playoffs. I'm not sure what that is, but that's cool. That's great.
1: That's
0: fascinating. Then
1: not know there were play ons, but there were playoffs. Are there playoffs in Quidditch, Andy?
0: Of course, there are. There's
1: a Quidditch yeah. World Cup. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's like a playoff.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right. All right, Nathan. I think (laughs) you have a different perspective on this. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I do like a good Quidditch match, too. Uh, Mm. But yeah, I I definitely uh, sports were a big part of my life growing up, mainly uh, baseball and basketball, which uh, I played as early as I could, probably until the end of uh, the end of high school. I also ran track and cross country in high school, so some seasons I was running cross country and or running track for the school and playing baseball in a rec league, and so two sports at the same time. And you know, never was good enough at a sport that I played in college, um, but I would do the rec league stuff that colleges offered. Got away from any kind of organized sport just personally for a while, but now I've gotten really into to running, which is a different kind of sport than some of these team sports like baseball and basketball. But as an aside, I think it in general has a healthier atmosphere <laughs> than uh, than some of these other sports, but that's, that, that's a personal opinion. Uh, I do follow baseball and basketball. I grew up near Baltimore, so I'm a fan of the Baltimore teams um, and enjoy going to the games. Uh, I have Two boys that are uh, young, um, you know, 10 and seven, and so they're kind of at that age where they're exploring some sports, but also just as sort of a teaser, just an awareness of how different the culture of sports is, even from uh, when I was a child, which really isn't that long in the grand scheme of things. For for someone who's played a sports a whole lot, has been interesting self-reflection to look at my boys who are finding sports less attractive and not feeling sorry about that because Mm. of what comes along with being good at a sport these days. Part of me looks at it and says, well, maybe it's not the worst thing that they don't want to play baseball every single weekend. So yeah, that's sort of where I am right now. Audrey, I know,
1: uh, As another Hollenberg, uh, there must have been a competitive uh, streak in your household, because I'm noticing some similarities.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when during the summers, how did we spend our time? We were often outside playing basketball or kickball, and when we got together with our cousins that also lived in the same town, we were often playing kickball, basketball, I am the only girl cousin on that side of the family. And so, you know, you played, you played sports. (laughs) So that was, yeah, there was, you were going to be playing sports on, you know, on a casual way, but I also played basketball. That was my main sport. I played basketball through most of high school, started in, elementary school. Don't I,
1: attempt to make a jump shot in front of Audrey. She will slam will. that ball you back will in eat your face. That ball. I do not play games with her.
0: <laughs> I was notorious in high school for blocking shots. That was my my specialty. I, I played t-ball early on, but that didn't translate into playing softball or baseball uh, later. Uh, and I did do soccer off and on. In fact, Andy, Tim, and I all played on the same soccer team rec league in high school. I was just there for a year. I think you all played together more than that. But.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I did um, I did one season of track in high school where I did the high jump. Held the record for the highest high jump for my school, at least back then. I doubt that that's still the case. <laughs> um, but I didn't play in college. And... I I don't watch sports. I I used to watch football a good bit uh, when we first got married, but I found it to be something that I didn't enjoy the stress of anymore. <laughs> so I, I don't really watch much sports anymore. I, I like going to Orioles games. I like the atmosphere of being at an Orioles game, but I hate watching sports on TV. I just don't enjoy it. <laughs> I do run now, but I I am not as uh, into the culture of it probably as Nathan is. I, I It's definitely a, an individual thing for me. I've not gotten engaged much in terms of a community of runners. As Nathan also said, it was a big part of my childhood. <laughs> and so we've already been talking about how then our children are going to engage sports and Nita's going to start soccer lessons really
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh here in a couple weeks
1: yeah scary
0: <laughs> scary
1: <laughs> it is Well, i don't know it feels like the wheels are really going to start turning and all of that and but well, we'll get to some of that later i guess my experience of sports growing up <laughs> was probably much, much more than andy <laughs> um, although i don't know we played a lot of the same sports when we were little and then i just continued on with with some of them and we did play soccer together and soccer, baseball, basketball with a couple travel leagues thrown in. But by the time uh, high school really started, it was just just rec leagues. And uh, Andy and I wanted to sing in musicals instead. So that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> Anymore, I, I've dabbled with running and did a half marathon with uh, Audrey and Nathan did the marathon in Baltimore a couple years ago while we were doing that. And so that's, that's been fun. I do enjoy watching the Baltimore Orioles and the Baltimore Ravens. And I can pick up the Baltimore Ravens on my antenna, which (laughs) makes it cheaper because watching sports is really expensive. Like you have to invest to watch sports anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like growing up, it was just, we had Orioles games on a lot. We didn't have well, cable or yeah, anything.
0: WBAL.
1: Yeah, right? you had well, the radio. You could listen to on the radio.
0: Mhm. What was the channel 13?
1: CBS had the Orioles games almost all the time. That's not really the case anymore. You got to got to pay to watch. So, I don't watch a whole lot anymore, but I certainly follow and like to cheer. So, yeah, we're we're that gives you some kind of briefing. There there certainly was a Uh, expectation that most kids I feel like in our generation dabbled at least to a certain extent in sport culture and general fitness and Mm -hmm. thinking of sport as a recreational thing and learning basic skills of teamwork and hand-eye coordination and movement and and those kind of basic things when when we were young as as Nathan kind of alluded to uh, it didn't It didn't start off real, real competitive, I don't think, for our generation. It got there if you wanted it to. But it feels like we're living into a different generation now of kids' engagement with sports. And I think that's what I'm referring to with Anita starting soccer soon. It's like she gets into a sport at four years old. (laughs) Oh, what's this going to do to our lives?
0: One of the reasons why we picked this particular sport for her to start with, one, it feels very approachable in terms of skill, Mm -hmm. but from practical standpoint, her preschool offers this during the afternoon, and so it's not a huge commitment of time in that, you know, her preschool day ends, and then she can just stay and do soccer, which is not the case with a lot of sports right now, where it is a huge time commitment to Participate and to you know as a parent to get your kids two practices and two games. Mm-hmm. So this is it's really kind of a low, <laughs> a low commitment on our part to have Nita engaged in in soccer.
1: Yeah, but I think that's an interesting place maybe to start. So we're all parents, and
2: we're is all-
0: Peter playing sports yet, Andy?
1: Uh,
2: competitive spit up right now. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. He's not. <laughs>
1: He doesn't have a lot of distance yet, but
3: he's working on it.
1: He's <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah. all be engaging this reality, and and you know, I mean, I, I've heard so many people, and um, what's really come across as a a lament or just a complaint about sports intruding in the Christian experience, especially on Sunday mornings or or whatever else, right? And that's reality, what, what are we to do about it?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm recalling a story that's very vivid in my memory where growing up playing T-ball or, or Little League, rather, my dad was one of the coaches and we had a really rainy year. So a lot of games were just getting postponed, canceled. And there was a meeting of all the coaches and the league commissioner, whatever they call that in Little League, um, the person organizing about what to do to make up these games and the, the topic was broached at this meeting where I was attending of of playing on Sunday mornings, like that, that was an option. And I remember vividly my father getting up and saying, like, if that's what you need to do, we'll understand, but like me and my family will be in church. So we wouldn't be able to be at those games. And then almost kind of like, uh, you know, it takes one person, uh, several other coaches got up and said, yeah, we have, we have Sunday commitment. Um, and so that was, it was decided I think they ended up didn't they? They played some Sunday afternoon, evening games, but they stayed away from that Sunday morning intentionally, and it was it was the action of the coaches saying no, you know we have a commitment there. That has changed, and I'm not comfortable putting the blame on anyone. Like I don't, I don't even know how the change happened, but I'm just very aware that especially when you get past the introductory level. So you talked about with Nita, there's there. You know, my boys loved T-ball because nothing mattered. You know, ever the ball is hit and the entire team, sometimes the person who hit it chases after the ball, you know, and it's just chaos and it's fun. But it very quickly, by the time you're really getting even even in coach pitch baseball, I've noticed it with my youngest, like you get some really competitive kids, and the skill levels between those who are hyper-invested and those who are there for just fun become evident. And then If you really are into a sport by 10, 11, 12, then you're on the travel team. And there are so many travel teams. It used to be growing up, travel team was for like the best of the best. And so you literally had to travel a long ways to play the best of the best somewhere else. Not to be like, it's gonna sound judgmental, but there's just so many travel teams that you have like the best of the best on there. And then people who just like the sport a lot, but they're not the best of the best. But you can still be on a travel team because there's just lots of travel teams and the new model is weekend tournaments. So you will play multiple games Friday, Saturday, Sunday in this tournament. And so Sunday morning is being impacted. It just it just is the reality and parents are caught in this difficult place. And I think I think especially those of pastors it's you know it does it's not helpful just to say shame on culture for in, intruding on Sunday morning. Where they really have to decide if my kid really loves this sport and is invested in it, it's no longer will we protect Sunday morning and let them play the other times. It really is a choice between will my child play for this team or not? Because to play for this, to play seriously, competitively these days, it just it just means period that Sunday morning is going to be impacted. It's just a reality that pastors, I mean, it's nothing new. Those of us that work in churches are just aware of. If you have families who have children who are really invested in sports, you know that that's going to be a reality for them.
0: And that's something that I, you know, Tim and I have talked about. Practically speaking, we are both pastors. <laughs> and so if one of our children decide that they are really into a sport, now my my worry is I literally cannot get them to a game on yeah. Sunday morning. And so I have to tell my child I'm sorry you can't do this. Does that cause resentment towards mm-hmm. your faith community because it's mm-hmm. keeping them from doing something that they want to rather than it being, you know, a choice that they make to prioritize Sunday morning, practically speaking, it's not going to be an option (laughs) unless, you know, we work out arrangements for her to get picked up. And I'm not even sure that I want that. I have worried preemptively about those choices that will have to be made at some point.
3: Well, and I already hinted, like, as a super involved in sports as I was now, and, and some of that's parenting choice. Like I've decided just because I did something growing up does not mean I'm going to live through my children, I probably perhaps see value in the sporting experience more than maybe Andy or other people do. And I also see the pitfalls, but like, it's been fascinating for as much as sports were part of my life growing up, there's this maybe guilty side of me. who's like, I'm not sorry that my boys really haven't been into anything to the point where I think they're going to continue into it competitively because I'm aware... I'm aware that 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 takes away from A, my time commitment, um, and B, that I won't be put in that awkward situation as a pastor. But there are other parents and pastors, you know, if their kid does find that passion and that spark, what do you do? I mean, the hyper competitiveness, though,
1: starting earlier and earlier, is scary to me, not just for what it might do to families and church commitments and, and these kind of things of just generally, what does all of this competition communicate to our kids about what life is, is supposed to be? I mean, we already have competition baked into so many other elements of, Education, of our culture.
0: It's,
1: yeah. Yeah. And th- it wasn't sports just supposed to be this fun <clears throat> thing to get kids moving and playing. I mean, it was supposed to be play, right? early on now it doesn't quite look as much like play as it does like just one more competitive thing in life.
2: I wonder a lot about the philosophy behind sports in general and its roots. Kids will will always play. Competition's always kind of a regular part of playing with other people, contests and who's better at this and who's better at that and there there are benefits from that, but there's also a lot of drawback you know the first competitive games professional games i'm thinking about early you know greek olympics and roman gladiatorial arenas and what's the function of of these things to entertain the masses but also to train up for war physical prowess but also instill a sense of loyalty to one's own side and i don't want to say hatred of the other side but at least a commitment to victory. So you certainly don't want to sympathize with the other team. That would defeat the whole purpose of winning a game is if you felt if you humanize the other side. You play better if they are the enemy. They are the opponent. And you know, you're getting into gladiatorial things. Well, there's a lot of bad there, right? But it does instill a sense of us versus them. And I think in our world today, I think we can all agree that is a huge problem. Division in this country, especially, that there are two sides and only one can win. And that's the only way we know how to think about
3: it. And I will say that can intrude younger children's sports. I think that's more prominent at the professional level, especially in football, where like military language just gets used. And that's a whole nother topic we could talk on, on sort of the marriage between professional sports and the military as a child, as having children who are in sports, if you have good coaches, which there are lots of great coaches out there, there is a sort of uh, sportsmanship and respect for the, you know, the opponent, if you will. And yes, it's a forced handshake at the end of the game, but sort of that reminder that this is just a game that very much is still there. Um, but on the flip side, like my youngest played coach pitch. there's no scoreboard, but they knew the score
1: oh sure they
3: were keeping score, but they're not supposed to because it doesn't really matter. There's not supposed to be winners and losers. there are no playoffs. It's not supposed to be competitive, but because we see that mirrored from upper levels um or these uh these players have siblings who play hyper competitive upper level baseball it, it still makes its way in like I understand Andy, where you're coming from in general and i think that becomes a bigger concern for me at the professional level. Um, mm-hmm. I think children have been playing games that were not mm-hmm. gladiatorial before the before the gladiators. I think game and play is a natural thing that we do. Mm-hmm. And so at its best sports can instill things like community, teamwork, support. My eldest who played tee ball and loved it because it was chaos and there was no rules and then the pandemic happened and he didn't play for years and so when we felt comfortable putting him back in organized baseball he had aged up to the to the point of of kid pitch and that's a humongous gap between hitting a ball off a tee to having a, a child who maybe can throw the ball hard but can't control it getting up there and hitting And he just, you know, he was self-identifying that his skills were far behind these other kids who played all throughout the pandemic. But I remember for him, the first time he made contact, now he got out, but he hit the ball and that was a big deal for him. His teammates were cheering him on. And so, you know, he had a positive experience, but at the end of the season, he decided that he was done with baseball. Now, part of that is, is he also got hit in the face with a pitch and broke his nose. That'll do it for a kid. Um, but to his credit, you know, it was a teaching moment because he had a broken nose. He couldn't play, but he still sat with his team. Like, that was a lesson for us. Like, you you can't play, but you can still support your teammates. And he did actually end up getting to play again before the season was up. And his teammates were super excited to have him back on the field. So when you talk about his experience Being a part of a team was positive for him, but the sport itself, he would self-identify that he's just not good. He's not as good as everyone else. And being good mattered because it was competitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are keeping score at that age and there are all-stars at that age. So it's like, it's fascinating. The team being a part of a team was, was wonderful for my eldest, but The sport itself and kind of some of that baggage that leaks in was what made it for him not wanting to participate anymore.
0: I was shocked recently. One of the things that Tim and I try to make an effort to is when we have young people in our congregation that play sports or are in musical groups, we try to make an effort to go and see them either playing their games or in their concerts. And so we went to one of our young Fellas was playing really early on basketball. We went to one of his games and the parents at this game were terrible. Like he was in third grade, I think. They were horrible to the other team, to the other parents, uh, and especially to the ref of the game, which was so disappointing to me because I, I went up and spoke to the ref after the game because she had such a great philosophy. There were times where, again, some of this, some of these players, this was like their first season ever playing basketball. She would call things, but then explain to the players why what they did was you know, out of bounds or not literally out of bounds, but why they were getting called on something. And sometimes she would give people warning before she would actually yeah. blow the whistle you know, someone would dribble and then pick up the ball, and she would say, "Don't put that ball back down because I'm gonna I'm gonna have to blow the whistle."
1: Yeah, she was like a secondary coach almost.
0: Yeah, right? she she was making sure that the game was as much a learning experience for these new players right. as their practices. And because she was giving a lot of grace, the people that were on the opposite team, those parents were harping on her, right?
1: Because it wasn't fair. It was right or it, whatever.
0: Yeah, because it, the, like they were. Seeing it as a a competition and not a learning experience, and so you know, I I went up and talked to her because I just I so appreciated her philosophy, and she was getting completely hounded by the parents. I could see that be being a reason why kids would decide not to play because that's not fun.
3: I don't want to get mom or dad going, right? (laughs) And that reminds me, and I you know I'm ashamed to say I don't recall the exact piece where I can point listeners to it, but I think you could find it, but. It was an NPR piece I was listening to, and there there a study had been done. And the, the numbers, again, I should preface it, you know, I'm recalling from a car ride uh, NPR piece, but it, it was basically naming that somewhere around 80% of kids, uh, 70, 80 percent of kids are done with organized sports by age 13. And that's like a that's a trend that's getting worse. The like the, the top two reasons why kids stop is A it's hyper-competitive and no longer fun. So it's like it it doesn't become fun anymore. And the the second one, B, is the actions of coaches or parents. And I think that probably plays into one. It's not fun if coaches are yelling at you, parents are yelling at you. um, If you have this sense of pressure on you when you're not a professional, it's not what you do for a living. So there there are sort of secondary issues of the culture around sports. And it's fascinating to me, Audrey, that when grace was being extended for little kids, that that was viewed as a negative thing.
0: Yeah, because I think it was in part because there was one team that was quote unquote worse than the other. And so one team was getting more grace than the other, just because of the nature of the learning experience. And so Someone that maybe maybe doesn't have the same <laughs> understanding of God's abundant grace <laughs> 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 uh, sees that as unfair, uh, and certainly you know maybe. Reminds me
3: of Jonah sitting on the side of the hill exactly. upset because Nineveh didn't didn't get destroyed. You know, exactly. it's
0: exactly
3: we don't like when when other people receive grace that we don't think is deserved. Exactly right, and
1: that may, makes me go back to Andy's comment earlier about. You know, kids are always going to do this. There's always going to be a competitive thing. I was exceptionally competitive when I was really young. I mean, I was the board game flipper at family game night, right? (laughs) So kids are always going to, there's always going to be those kids that are keeping score when you're not supposed to or whatever. But the hyper level we're adding to it, it's probably our generation's fault. Mm -hmm. We can't put this on kids. We're adding this other layer to this, this pressure, this using the sport as an identity framer or or living vicariously through our kids, right? Right. But we gotta be really careful as parents doing all of that, uh, attempting to use our kids' lives as another opportunity to be competitive and win at something when we just need to be reminded that they're they're kids, they're learning, even up through high school, it's really still a learning experience. It becomes more fine-tuned certainly but it's still a learning experience and only a fraction of you are ever going to go on to make a career or money off of this. You're doing this for the for the health and fitness benefit, for the camaraderie benefit, because it means something to be a part of something. And you're beginning to see that reflected, I think, more and more. It's been interesting, this baseball season, I've noticed professionally that there's more of a cheerleading kind of culture infiltrating like professional baseball dugouts where they got chants and they've got rituals and celebrations. <laughs>
0: Maybe you want a picture, a picture. Well that's insulting <laughs> oh. <laughs> Audrey But
1: you know, I mean the Little League like you watch Little League World Series and the teammates are all ri- rallied around their pitcher, right? Really encouraging him. It's really positive. And you're you're seeing that a little bit on the professional level, which is kind of cool. The reminder that this is a game. This is fun. These guys have the luxury of playing a game for a living. What fun is that? it should be about joy. And so I think there needs to be a bit of a a reframing, speaking personally, it'll have to start with me as an individual that I'm engaging this as a parent, as as a cheerleader, as an encourager, as one um, stoking camaraderie and sportsmanship and joy, because it is play above anything else. Even though I'm sure my, both my kids will have competitive streaks just like both of their parents mm-hmm. <laughs> right and be really frustrated after well, a game. <laughs> I'd like to share. I I yes, I I am I have lots of
2: critical thoughts about sports. But I played baseball, basketball, soccer in my early years. I think mostly for the social part of it. I think I would have been very fine and happy if I never set foot on the field. <laughs> And I just hung out in the dugout to be supportive to my fellow. I would have been a great water boy. I'm gonna tell you what. If that wasn't a demeaning and degrading position, uh, sometimes I liked being a a jokester, cheerleader. That sort of community building I was into.
0: So we've we've kind of hit competition in both the the sense of how we engage sports as kids, and I think you know we've talked a little bit about how that's also played out on the professional level of sports. There's a couple other things that I know we want to talk about related to professional sports in terms of how that impacts cultural understandings, not only of sports, but then of people in general. Let's talk a little bit more about professional sports.
1: We've talked some about the way these things have infringed upon carrying out a Christian life. But there are also some pieces of our faith that we are intentionally trying to almost bake into the competition of professional sports. And so so the prosperity gospel is this notion that God wants us to be successful and prosperous and will bring that about as long as we are faithful. And if we are faithful we can expect wealth and fame and blessings right which that's not the gospel <laughs> there's no promise of, of of wealth or fame however more and more it's being associated with the gospel i just saw i think it was a lifeway research group did you guys see this lifeway research just released I I that three out of four american christians whether they could name it or not have beliefs associated with this prosperity gospel and you see that very much baking itself into a culture of professional sports where people are praying for wins <laughs> what does that say does it god all care?
0: started with angels in the outfield
1: <laughs> 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 yeah god has a favorite right or, or something like that a favorite team
0: when um, you're the angels yeah you're gonna be the favorite
1: all i have to say is upon the completion of this podcast the orioles just swept the anaheim angels los angeles
3: angels sorry <laughs> That that makes me think of after a game is won, um, you have stars and they'll often give thanks to God. And I always have mixed feelings about that. I can appreciate someone expressing their faith. And I don't think the message of, of people who will say things like that is... Oh, I believe God caused me to win. You know, I think they're just giving thanks when when good things happen. We tend to give thanks, all of us. Mm. But a secondary message that it sends, maybe perhaps unintentionally, is that God is on the side of winners because it's Mm. often the winners that we're interviewing. There's been a few times where people who have lost have expressed their thanks to God, and that for me has always been more impactful. Because if there is a gospel message that relates to sports, it's often that God is with those who are suffering now losing a game does not mean you are suffering. In fact, if God is anywhere on the sports field, it's probably with the unseen people that are working and underappreciated in the background, sort of the outcasts, those on the fringes of the stadium that Mm -hmm. clean up the stadium. If if God is anywhere in the midst of that, that's where I feel like God would be. But some of the language we use uh, has basically infiltrated faith. and, And so you have this winning culture mentality in faith which is that prosperity gospel. And it's this idea not just that if you are faithful enough god will bless you, but that the blessing themselves is just proof of god's favor. And that that's sort of the the flip side of I mean it's a part of the prosperity gospel just kind of in reverse. But it's this idea that, you know, we we have, we see that culturally when a natural disaster happens, people of faith will be quick to say well clearly god is punishing these people for something. That's just sort of the other side of the coin. Well, I don't think people are actually believing that, that God, you know, whoever won the Super Bowl was because God favored them. Some of the language we use around that creates this winning culture mentality and faith. Well
1: and I think it's it's because we've let sport or or other very competitive parts of our lives become primary identities. Sport for some people is is everything. It's what they're working for so that they can watch it on the weekends or <laughs> participate it in some way and right it's it's huge it's a huge piece of of people's lives and so they attach probably more meaning to it than there should be it, it is absolutely religion
2: it's got all the hallmarks of belief and loyalty and ritual and lament
1: and celebration and once again I mean this is that can be taken maybe as a pretty heavy critique and this is coming from somebody who really enjoys watching sport but i do have to remind myself in the heat of those nfl games especially to be like wait (laughs) this is just a sport this is just fun
0: i think that's part of the reason why i stopped watching football because it stopped being fun Mm. i didn't like myself watching football the stress and anxiety that may seem silly but i got to the point where other parts of my life were stressful and I was anxious and was like, I don't need this. <laughs> this isn't fun. I don't have that same issue with other sports, but I also just, yeah, I don't feel the need to have that be such a part of my identity.
3: Right. That's naming something, because I think I've, I've even seen professional sports players talking about sort of the uncomfortable nature of like the fans getting more upset. Over uh, losses than they are and it's not that they don't care they're hyper competitive people but fans sometimes lose the notion that this is just a game more so than the professional players don't, don't, don't get me wrong The players can lose their cool we see fights on the field but you see lots of fights in the stands too sure. because we have that we have a winning culture we have enemy culture that's not all the professional sports themselves like the players and those involved in the system Something has shifted where we have set the stakes so high as fans. We see that even with betting, like people are literally losing livelihood over games or staking their life. Maybe that's sort of hyperbolic, but staking their life on whether they can correctly call the outcome of a game or not, and it's easy to do. You just download an app. You know, it's like fascinating. Some of them say, "Oh, and your first whatever." will be forgiven. It sort of tries to hook you into the sport in new ways. And so the it's not a benign thing and it's not innocent. Mm -hmm. There are good things about kind of loving sports. I'm reminded in college, I was in some sort of world history class or maybe it was more more political science. And I remember the professor asking a question that why for the Olympics don't we just sort of root for whoever's the the best like why do we feel such this hyper we must root for our own country to win if it is sort of a celebration of just the best athletes in the world that even on that stage we get into this hyper competitive rooting for our side our team when there are like lots of amazing stories that take place at the olympics and maybe they've gotten better at that but like we have the medal counts out there because we want to know who wins. And then, well, does it is it who has the most medals that matter or who has the most gold medals? And depending on where your country is, like you'll look at that differently. So you can be the winner in that global battle. But why don't we just celebrate the fact that there are some incredible athletes all over this world and say, Wow, look at look at look who won this race and look at everyone who's here.
0: Look well, at look the a- Jamaican bobsled team. There you go. <laughs>
2: I think some of it has to do with how we define and think about pride and celebration. Is something worth being proud of if there's no one who who loses? Does there have to be a loser in order for us to celebrate or be proud? Nation versus nation, there's got to be a winner, there's got to be a loser. There's no sense in celebrating just humanity in general or individuals who are especially gifted in a particular way.
3: I find it fascinating that like the language we use around teams we support when they win, we tend to use inclusive language. Like we won, but if they lose, it becomes a exclusive. They, I can't believe it. Oh, what are they doing? Sometimes we say, what are we doing? But you know, I think that temptation is there. We're when things the are going well, we want to be a part of the, the, the club and when things aren't going well, well, it's not our fault. I'm not the one on the field. What are they thinking?
1: Right. You remember that classic line at the end of the Mighty Ducks where the uh the bad guys ice hockey team, right, with the coach who is all mean, he looks at his his guys and he's like, You lost it for us. And the students say, You lost it for yourself. <laughs> that was a great line. That's from the second
2: one. I, mean, I tell you what, I don't really like, like sports, but I like a good sports movie. <laughs>
1: Bringing this home a little bit, because I think we're going to talk more in an in another episode about kind of the celebrities and sports stars that do something with their faith and kind of what what that says and what's that saying about Christian faith. Those examples of famous Christians wearing their faith on their sleeves and that kind of thing. That that we can talk about that another time. But one major thing I'm hearing throughout our conversation today is just. As Christians, just keep sports and competition in general in perspective, yeah. and see it as what it is, and not elevating it to become
3: something that it doesn't need to be in your life. Church well, leaders need to please. hear that message. That can be some of the worst places.
0: That's right. <laughs>
3: We'll say a prayer before the game and now we will destroy the other side.
0: <laughs> right. And I, I think that's the the stamp that gets on that is like, oh, well, this is a church league. I don't have to work so hard to separate how this influences the other. It's kind of like the board meetings where you pray at the beginning and you pray at the end and you feel like that means you're doing God's work. <laughs> the same is true with, with sports in this instance where if it's a religious league, you're like, well, the fact that I'm Christian is already assumed. And so I don't necessarily have to act in a way that confirms that. (laughs) I I was gonna say also, just in terms of, I think every topic that we talk about connecting culture and faith, sometimes I feel we need to go back and put in like, you can love playing sports. (laughs) You can love watching sports. Yes. be a Christian. And our criticisms and our lenses that we put on it are just an invitation to have a critical lens and not make assumptions about what it does and what it doesn't communicate. All of these conversations, when we talk about pop culture and put in on a lens of criticism, it's to say like, We live integrated lives. We do not live siloed lives. And so these things should be in conversation with one another.
1: Yeah. So when my kids are the stars on the uh, high school soccer teams, I need to keep in mind. Keep it it humble.
0: (laughs) Our child can trip over air. So I just have a feeling that that is not going to be a reality. (laughs)
1: Probably chess. I'm hoping Chess. chess. There you go.
2: We're nearing the end of our conversation, but, you know, I'm also wondering about the future of sports and recreation and how much is going to be digital, competitive video gaming is on the rise.
0: Didn't Bridgewater College just add a...
1: Yeah, they added a like a...
0: Gaming team. Team.
1: Yeah. That's
3: going to be a whole whole other topic for those chat rooms. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can't get off topic on that, but... No, that's a good Mm -hmm. point, though. But that also makes me think just to bring it back to sort of traditional sports, if you will. I think a lot of what we're saying isn't like groundbreaking. That's not to say this isn't worth talking about. But I I feel like parents are feeling this. Not all of them, because sometimes I think parents are the problem. But the pandemic did it some where people were like, I just didn't realize how busy I was. And some people have gone back to that schedule. Some people haven't. So, I mean, maybe as a glimmer of hope, I think there is this sense that's starting to sort of trickle out there that maybe this isn't sustainable, even just from a physical standpoint. I'm looking at how many pitchers in Major League Baseball are needing to have surgery because they're, they're, they've they been throwing the ball way too much. I remember having pitch counts that they had to follow when I was in Little League. But if you're playing at like multiple games every single weekend, you know, I think I, 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 you know, that's my worry is that we're going to see a physical toll on these developing bodies. But I also get a sense that culturally and perhaps we're aware that some of this isn't sustainable. So maybe that's my glimmer of hope that we'll wake up and something new will kind of be on the horizon.
1: Audrey and I have talked a lot about how, how much longer can you really expect football to continue as it is? because of right. the, the human body and safety concerns. I know there's research being done on how to make it safer, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to parents and kids at middle and high school kind of levels deciding whether or not this is a risk they want to take. And I foresee it that that pool of people willing to take the risk shrinking and shrinking over the course of decades. I'm not talking, it's going to happen real quickly, but yeah, those are interesting questions to raise. And one more reason not to make it a, a, a central identity for you or a, or a child. Not not that it can't be an identity, but my, my child is not a pitcher. That
3: mm-hmm. is not
1: their reason for existence. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah,
3: and, and a reminder that a lot of the things that sports can provide, the faith community also, that sense of camaraderie and support and encouragement and being there for one another. That can be and should be what the church provides. And so you don't need the sports world to teach that. I'm not saying don't play sports, but it's just saying, yes, sports has some value because it teaches those things, but the faith community can be that too.
0: There was a church that used to do um, what they called size <laughs> where you they did-
1: praiser size, praiser size
0: where they listened to uh, spiritual music and moved. So maybe we just need to- Incorporate that more intentionally into our <laughs> into our There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll end the conversation there for now. Uh, next time, we'll carry on with this conversation a little bit because what we didn't touch on is kind of, is the kind of celebrity persona that gets attached to athletes, and that kind of also bridges outside of sports in particular to to look at celebrities, thinking about how celebrities, athletes, movie stars, how all these people use their fame as a platform to talk about faith. And so we wanna we want to look at that a little bit more broadly, kind of connecting to where we talked about today.
1: But for now, this has been Popcorn with the Pastors, a Coffee with the Pastors podcast feature.
0: Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. Thanks to guest hosts, Nathan Hollenberg and Andy Duffy. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private, non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization.
3: Go O's!